Welcome to Peer to Peer, the podcast, brought to you by Rainer. Listen in as we hear from top surgeons having great conversations with their peers about hot and popular topics in ophthalmology. This episode of Peer to Peer, the podcast was recorded at ACOS 2023 in Deer Valley and will be of particular interest to our listeners in the United States. Dr. Paul Singh is joined by Dr. Arjun Hura and Dr. Carolina Russia to discuss why they are adopting Omidria. They touch on a multitude of topics, including the importance of maintaining pupil stability, accessibility to the medication, patient selection, and patient experience. Dr. Inder Paul Singh is president of the eye centers of Racine and Kenosha Limited in Wisconsin. Dr. Arjun Hura is a refractive cataract and anterior segment surgeon at the Maloney Shamey Vision Institute in Los Angeles, California. Dr. Carolina Rusher is assistant professor of ophthalmology at MUSC in Charleston, South Carolina, specializing in cataract, cornea, and refractive surgery. Let's dive in. Hey everybody, welcome to Rainer Peer to Peer. My name is Paul Singh. I'm an anterior segment surgeon out in southeastern Wisconsin, and I'm honored and privileged to hang out with two really close friends and fantastic educators, anterior segment surgeons. It's Carolina Rocha, as well as Arjun Hura. Thanks for hanging out, you guys. Hi, thank, thank you. Well, appreciate thank it. you Always for a having us. So we are actually here at Deer Valley at ACOS. We're gonna talk about some cool stuff today. First of all, we're gonna talk about Omidria, right? And, and talk about how we utilize it, some of the benefits and kind of real life cases and kind of why we are adopting this new technology or, or using this technology. So Caroline, talk to us about what is Omidria and kind of how you utilize it and why you utilize it. Great, so Omidria is a combination of phenylephrine and ketorolac that we can use intra-op for our patients. And um, in our practice, and I practice in academics, and it's so amazing that I can offer it to every single patient. If they don't have a contraindication, we can use Omidria. And in our experience, I would say, I would say one, for teaching. It's amazing that we can keep that patient, people dilated, um, patients with floppy iris. It's been a game changer uh, using Omidria. And for femtosecond laser cases. So as we know, when you use the fento, you release some prostaglandins, right? The pupil closes a little bit. So this has been really fantastic. Yeah, so having phenylephrine and ketorolac in the bottle infusion constantly going into our irrigation, right? The idea is that it's calming the inflammatory cascade at the time of insult, right? When we're doing surgery. So the idea of keeping the pupil stable, may not necessarily dilate it more, but it kind of keeps it stable as well uh, and has an anti-inflammatory cascade reduction at least. So talk about Arjun, kind of how, is that kind of what you are utilizing or tell me what kind of patients you're utilizing it in? Yeah, you brought up an interesting point, which is maybe you said maybe it doesn't actually increase dilation. I've actually had a few cases, and I presented this at Caribbean Eye earlier this year. I took snapshot photos of the eye prior to surgery starting. Then I took photos, because sometimes I'll actually instill sugarcane first, and then I will intracamerally give omidra as well. So I took photos of the pupil size after sugarcane, then the pupil size after omidra went in, and then the pupil size at the end of the case as well. And there are some cases where I'm noticing just a little extra half to a millimeter of increase in dilation with omidra. But honestly, the reason I use it so much really harkens all the way back to when I was a resident. You know, when you're in residency, the bulk of your cataract surgery comes from usually the VA in the VA setting. And Omidra got approved in on consignment halfway through my chief year. So I was maybe 100, 125 cataracts deep at that point. And my results were pretty good, but you know, sometimes it would take a few days, a week before the vision would become crisp and clear. And then I started to use Omidra and I noticed right away my post-op day one results there was less anterior, anterior chamber inflammation, there seemed to be less post-operative edema, patients were seeing and reading better on the Snellen chart on day one, and just the overall level of post-operative discomfort was lessened as well. 
My surgical skills didn't magically change overnight, but the only variable that changed was the addition of Omidria. And so I became a big believer in Omidria and started to use it very early. And like Carolina mentioned, I tend to use it on most of my cases. Let's dissect a little bit further because you, you guys mentioned some really great po uh, positives for Omidria. So let's talk about the pupil size and pupil kind of stability and the tone. So currently, talk about why that's so important. So your point, it might dial in a little bit. Let's say it just keeps it stable. How important is that and how does it affect your overall kind of efficiency of surgery as well as the safety of surgery? Oh my goodness, I think it's a game changer, right? Especially in a teaching hospital that you don't need to work. Sometimes the cases may take longer when you're teaching, uh, but it's amazing. I mean, you're just not dealing with that pupil trying to close when you're, you know, in a, a case with a heart cataract. Um, I think it's amazing. And we're not only keeping that pupil uh, dilated, but you're acting in inflammation. Uh, I would say 50% uh, reduction in post-op pain. You know, the patients, they don't complain post-op and actually can even help with our dropless, right? If you're going dropless, it's extremely helpful. Yeah, talk, yeah. talk about that because I think there's a big push now in our, in our industry in general to stay away from narcotics, get away from narcotics as well. And, you know, there's been some studies that have been published with Omidria saying that you're using less narcotics when you utilize Omidria. Talk about that and, and have you had experience with that too, just say not having to use as much intraoperative anesthesia as well as a post-op course. Talk about that, Arjun, and love to hear you talk about it. I actually want to go yeah, back yeah, to yeah, something yeah, you yeah, commented yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, which go is, ahead, go ahead. Uh, let's yeah. talk about the importance of pupil size and maintaining okay. that because if you look at what is the most feared complication for any cataract surgery, breaking the bag, sure. and what are the main risk factors for breaking the bag? Let's put surgeon inexperience size, mm -hmm. dense, let's say white cataract maybe, loose sonules, but right at the top of the list there is a small pupil. Mm -hmm. So even though you know we're all experienced surgeons, especially surgeons who can do other surgeons, let's say four or five minute cataracts, they say, oh, you know, I can operate through a small pupil. For the average surgeon, that increases the chances of having a complication. So it's really important to maintain that pupil size. And like Carolini mentioned, reference back to when I was a resident at the VA, so many of our patients were on Flomax and we were, they had all of them had floppy iris syndrome. I put in maybe 50 to 70 Malugan rings prior to getting Omidron consignment. After Omidron, maybe like two rings. So it's rare that I have to reach for Malugan ring because I feel like Omidron really does help maintain that pupil size throughout surgery. And that's really important, especially if you're trying to align a toric properly, you know, you're trying to visualize is there any peripheral cortex that hasn't been, uh, been uh, suctioned off or, or aspirated off, or is there any signs of weak sonules someplace? It's really important to have a good view. No, that's a really good point. And actually backing up to, for me as a glaucoma specialist, we get stuck with a lot of the hyperopes, the patients who are also on Flomax, shallow chambers. People are also, say, as loose zonules like acute exfoliation. And, and those patients, pupils, you know, they just come down like, like within a few seconds after you're going in the eye. And so that's been, for me, a huge benefit as well. So not only do I have less pupil expansion devices as well, but I, I think overall my efficiency, the surgical time has also improved a lot of these patients because you are more confident. Let's be honest with you. When you have that pupil with that iris bouncing up and down, the chamber stability is not the same. You're like trying to get a piece, it gets stuck underneath the iris. You know, it's just really hard to manage those patients. So for, my, for me, it's certain comfort level. I think confidence kind of in, your, in the surgery itself, efficiency as well as, of course, you know, kind of more or less visualization, which is important. So really good points. I think it's very important. Um, but also I think less trauma to the iris causes less inflammation as well because I notice so many times where like I'm sitting there trying to you know, even if you have a sculpt or if you do a, let's say divide and conquer or you do cracking 
you takes a, one little nick of that iris from the from the FACO machine, and guess what happens? That iris is gone. <laughs> like yeah. it's it's all over the place all the time. So having less iatrogenic kind of iridodialysis or any kind of irritation to the iris is a huge benefit for me clinically as well. And I'm thinking here. I'm trying to remember the last time I had a CME post op. Right? Pretty rare. It's, it's a, yeah, really rare. So, so yes. Yeah, so, let's talk about that. Yes. So, so yeah, pupil pupil stability is huge. Stability. Iris tone is important mm -hmm. as well. Plus, was, by the way, shallow irides. The iris wants to come out. How many times have you guys even just simple as something as simple as even iridodice to a hydrodissection? And what happens is you put a little bit of fluid in the eye, it just wants to come out. Having that tone prevents for me from having iris prolapse out of the eye in some of those cases as well. But yes, talk about inflammation because. Inflammation, not only in, in time of surgery, but also immediately post-op and things like CME. Talk about that and what that means yes, to you. Yes, I think, again, I think it's extremely important, uh, especially with our premium cases and, of course, regular cases, right? Uh, but I remember in the past, I used to see, you know, one case here and there. Uh, compliance is always an issue, mm -hmm. right? Because you're prescribing, we don't know if the patients are taking. You Basically, we don't know what they're getting at the pharmacy. Number two, we don't know if they're taking the drops, right? So I think this is a very, very helpful. Knowing that we are, you know, at that moment, we can help the patients to reduce inflammation. The achelerolic in the eye throughout the entire exactly. case. Exactly. So, so talk about your drop regimen, because I'm going to get to the inflammation part of it. So has this affected your post-op drop regimen by having Omidria on board at the time of surgery? Yeah, I would say so. Traditionally, I was, this many years ago, using a steroid, an NSAID, an antibiotic four times a day, and maybe a slow taper over a month period. After utilizing Omidra, especially for the majority of the cases, I now tend to use a combination drop, and that starts usually TID for two weeks, and then I taper that to BID. And sometimes if I give Subtenon's injection, let's say, of a little bit of a steroid as well, then I'll take that drop to just once a day. And I think that's a big step moving towards, you know, a future of dropless cataract surgery. Yeah, I mean, I've actually gone further even a lot of times, and, and depending on the case, of course, right? You have the, the more kind of complex, the more risk of inflammation, the more I'll put up on topical steroids. But a lot of times I've actually used, let's say, other forms of drug delivery, like a chicanolicular, chicanolabdexamethasone, have not even used any topical steroids, and even, even NSAIDs I've gone away with sometimes because of the, having Keloroc on board as well. But I think decreasing the drop burden for the patients, you mentioned mm -hmm. compliance. We know it's in glaucoma. Compliance sucks. Talk about that part of it in terms of patient uh, kind of just overall satisfaction, outcomes in terms of poor compliance, and even things like ocular service disease. Talk about that. You can. We're trying to move to dropless or even the combo drops. It's been amazing. Mm -hmm. But I think I would say that, you know, again, it takes the stress out of the situation that, oh, you need to use your inside. You know, twice a day, four times a day if you're using generic Atorolac. And it's terrible. I'm a cornea specialist, right? And then you have a premium lens in the eye, and the patients don't see well just because of toxicity. It's, 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 it's true. It's a real thing that ocular surface disease can affect vision and, and vision quality. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like if you ask most ophthalmology clinics what their most frequent calls are after surgery, one is probably, oh, the drops are irritating my eyes. Do I really need to take this? Mm -hmm. Probably the NSAID or the Ketorolac, whatever is being used, irritating the eye. And then the second is, uh, you know, are they even remembering to take their drops? And well, what drop am I supposed to use? Or can you call in another prescription for me? I lost it. So assuming patient outcomes are unchanged, moving towards a dropless future just increases the overall patient experience. 
it decreases the burden on staff in terms of returning phone calls. And it's just an extra little touch point that can be given to, to just make the overall patient experience better. I love what you guys said about the staff experience and the staff touch points. So we did a non-published study in our practice so looking at both glaucoma world as well as the uh, cataract world. And you take away one topical drop from the patient's regimen, you can, we found in our practice, we saved an average of four minutes per patient per visit of tech time. Think about all the callbacks from patients. You know, do, do, they, do they remember the drops? Do they need refills? Uh, do they get the right medications? Do you have to verify the post-op appointments? Did you get the right medications? Are you still taking them? And if you're using generics, or do you use three different generics, first eye versus second eye, the regimens are confusing, and it just becomes so much more time-consuming and, and cumbersome. So if you can even take away one of the drops, like the steroid drop or the NSAID drop, or just even combination as well, I think you have a less chance of a lot of that discussion that you have to have with patients, the callbacks from pharmacies as well, uh, and the confusion. And also, CME, things like CME. Now, I had a, one of the most poignant points from my career was recently I had a patient who came in with a really bad inflammation, really bad inflammation. Didn't, I didn't use a bid in this case, and the patient did, just forgot to get, her, to get her drops filled. And our, our technicians didn't realize that. She came in a week later, had just you know, he was like hypopian almost, was, was not infectious, but just because they weren't using any, any, any drops at all. So I think it's really important to recognize is not all cases will have that happen, but it just takes one case of a patient like that where they're not taking the drops, they didn't get the drops, they didn't get refilled, et cetera, that can cause those issues to happen as well. So it's kind of frustrating as well. So let's talk about access, right? Because access to any technology is always kind of a frustrating thing for a lot of us as well. So what's the access like for Midria? How can people get it and utilize it? Yeah, I think early on there was a lot of concern about accessibility and cost, but actually it's very accessible. So it's covered under Medicare, Medicare Advantage, and a lot of other insurance plans as well. But obviously you need to check and make sure it's billable for the patient. Yeah, no, that's great. We talked about access and the fact that Medicare and a lot of the commercial insurances, a lot of them are covering it as well. But I think it's important to recognize cost for the patient is significantly less for a lot of our patients. Not everybody, of course, but if you think about it, even if you're getting separate generic antibiotic and NSAID and steroid, that can sometimes add up to a lot of cost for some of our patients where they can't afford that, right? Let alone brand names. And even with the compounding, there's still some cost. And you know, talk about that. Has that helped you? And these in my practice, you know, clinically, I've had a lot of patients who are happier having to pay less money for these medications. My experience totally mirrors what you're saying. A lot of times, especially let's say for the first eye, a patient will want to go just buy the drops individually, let's say, and they realize how expensive it is. And then oftentimes they'll come back to us and say they want the compounded drop or let's say they want something else used like Omidria. And it's nice not to worry about coupons. I mean, I, I, I like brand name medications too as well. I'm a big fan of brand name drops as well. But I mean, even if you have utilizing coupons, that's another extra step for your staff, extra step for the patients. And a lot of times the patients don't utilize it or they go to the pharmacies. My biggest frustration, they go to the pharmacies. You think that they're getting your brand of choice, right? And they come back post-operatively and they're on a generic that they never told you about, right? And the pharmacists are not going to tell you that sometimes as well. So they're on medications that you don't want them to be on sometimes as well. And that kind of ambiguity, that lack of clarity, and I think for me, is frustrating as well as for the patient. So it's nice to not have to worry about that. So that's why I love this idea of getting a drop-free world as much as possible. So hopefully we'll get there. This is going to help us at least a little bit. So.
Awesome shit. So I mean, for me personally, in our in our ASC, we use it on every patient. We just use it because we we see the benefits. We don't we know we used to pick and choose a lot of times, but because we found the coverage is so good for for majority of our patients, we just feel like it's it's kind of something that we just do for every patient, and that's how we do it in our ASC as well. But do you, do you guys use it on specific uh, patients at all? Or do you pick and choose? I'm curious. I I'm at the point where I tend to use it on almost every patient. Yeah, I see. And are you picking and choosing specific patients? Yeah. So we are using in almost all patients only if the patient has any hypersensitivity to any of the ingredients. Yeah, otherwise it's pretty much safe to use yes. everybody. Yeah, that's exactly. great. Yeah, that's really good to know. Well, I think this is really helpful. I, I, for me, I learned a lot from you guys as well. I think one less variable to consider, right? One less variable of pupil irritation or pupil constriction at the time of surgery, less pain and irritation, less potential for pain after surgery, narcotics, hopefully patients have less need for topical drops, less issues with compliance. So if you take all those together, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I hope this helps you guys too. Yes. Thank you for uh, hanging out with us at this uh, Rainer Peer to Peer. Hope this helps you keep in touch and hopefully there'll be another episode coming your way soon. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Peer to Peer, the podcast. For more information about this episode's topic and to read the show notes, visit the Omidria Peer to Peer hub at rainer.com forward slash peer to peer dash Omidria. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation, please subscribe to our channel to be notified of new episodes. This podcast is provided for general information purposes only. The presenter's views are their own. Rainer does not endorse off-label use. Users must refer to the product labeling and instructions for use for Rainer products in all cases. As of July 2023, Omidria is for USA HCP use only. Important safety information. Omidria must be added to irrigating solution prior to use and is contraindicated in patients with known hypersensitivity to any of its ingredients. Systemic exposure of phenylephrine may cause elevations in blood pressure. The most commonly reported ocular adverse reactions at greater than 2% are eye irritation, posterior capsulopacification, increased intraocular pressure and anterior chamber inflammation. Please see the full prescribing information for Omidria at omidriahcp.com forward slash documents forward slash eight forward slash omidria dash prescribing dash information dot pdf. The full disclaimer can be found in the show notes.